in the pandemic, books were not socially distant from us. It was one of the comforts for a lot of people. There were books to read and books to follow and books to look forward to. But one of the strange things about reading, although it's done silently and it's done alone most of the time, that you want to share books, that if you like a book, you want someone else to read it, that you love the idea of a book that is, in a way, being, being part of the community or part of a community of readers. With that in mind, the art of reading is a way of bringing readers together, is a way of choosing books that I think people might like because they have given me a lot of pleasure and having a discussion about these books and bringing people together so that we all know that it's not just that reading is a form of pleasure, which it also is, but it's an art. It's actually a way for us to engage intellectually and imaginatively with words, with sentences, with what writers have done. And um, so for that reason, um, I want to share these books that have mattered so much to me. Emer, thank you very much for doing this. Can we start by you reading the opening paragraph of this book? Okay, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Uh, so here we go. For you, you'll soon, you'll give her name. In the stitches of her skin, she'll wear your say. Mammy me, yes you. Fancy the bed, I'd say. I'd say that's what you did. Then lay you down, they cut you round. Wait and hour and day. Ima, could you tell us where you were and what your circumstances were when you wrote that paragraph? Well, I was actually in London. It was 20 years ago this year when I was a, a youth of 26. Um, I was living in Tottenham and I had uh, I'd been to drama school in London, which is why I had, had moved from Castle Bar. And but I'd quite soon afterwards realized that I didn't really want to be an actress and that the writing that I'd been doing all along was really what I should be spending my time doing. So um, I spent a couple of years temping and trying to write, trying to teach myself to write. I used to get up at five in the morning and, you know, write for two hours before going into my temp job. And that was, you know, all not very good writing, but really learning how to write, how to get those kind of muscles into action, learning the discipline. Um, and then finally, when I when I was 26, my husband got a job directing A Winter's Tale in Tokyo. And uh, they paid what seemed like a vast sum of money to us in those days. And he said, well, look, we're going to go to Tokyo. And when we come back, there's going to be some money left. And whatever is left, that's for you to write with. So, so I came back from Tokyo and in the autumn of uh, 2003, I started to write and it lasted, the money lasted six months. So I had six months writing and I did three drafts in six months. Um, so I started, when I sat down to write, I, I had an idea uh, for a book and I just started to write and I thought, I, I don't know, I'll just, I'll write a thousand words a day. Something will come. And I wrote a thousand words a day and sometimes, you know, it was almost the same word a thousand times over and uh, nothing really came. It all seemed very dead. And then one day I wrote those first lines. And as soon as I did that, I knew that, that everything else was done. Everything else was rubbish. And this was the beginning of the book. And I didn't know where it was going to take me or or even really what it was going to be about. But I knew that that was the start. 
So that was the beginning of the book. But when you're talking about the earlier drafts, you know, before you came to that style, to that paragraph, what did this, what was the style? I mean, what sort of grammar were you using? What sort of diction were you using? Well, you know, I mean, what was what came before, they, it wasn't even drafts. It was just sort of disconnected paragraphs. Um, and it was, I think, started off in a very kind of grammatically correct way. Uh, you know, syntax and full stops yeah. and everything was was as it should be. And it just slowly kind of morphed into something else. Um, and I realized that, I mean, I knew all along that I was interested in using language in a different way. Um, I just didn't know how that would shape up until I actually started to write. And that's kind of remained the way for me for writing ever since, is that I I don't really know what's going to happen until the writing ha- is happening on the page. I felt with the book, and I, I wonder if other readers felt the same, a sort of an extraordinary, overwhelming sense of darkness, of pain, of loss, that seemed to me al- almost to represent a sort of philosophy of things, that there's a sort of relentlessness in the way each person's pain is represented, each person's separateness is represented, that actually culminates in this style. In, in other words, it isn't as though the style is, sort of, is, is, is somehow one possibility that you could have used that seems to be seamlessly there, the only possibility you could have used, but that you are operating, this is 20 years ago, from, I think, a very dark place. Yeah, I think at that point in my life, I was in a very dark place myself. My own brother had died uh, just a few years beforehand in similar circumstances to the boy in the book. And when I started the book, I absolutely didn't want to write about that. I didn't know what I was going to write about, but I knew for sure that that story would not be there. And then, of course, that became the only story that could be there. And and then it took on its own life. And it's it's you know, it's not a memoir. It's it's not a biographical book, an autobiographical book, but it does carry inside it the seeds of those things that I understood so deeply and difficultly inside myself. Um, And I think it, it. this, the kind of the the emotion was wed very much to the language and they both fed off each other. So they created in a way a kind of inevitability about themselves. So that when I got to the end of the book, it just felt as though it was impossible. It could have been a different book written in a different way. It could only have been this one thing um, and, and done in this one way. So it was, it's in a way, it's a difficult book to unpick the whys precisely. It's it just became what it was, and that was in many ways out of my control. Um, there, there's an argument that used to go on about Shakespearean tragedy. One was that there was a thing called a fatal flaw, and everyone Ham, Hamlet had one, and you know it was procrastination or something. And then scholars came in to say, no, no, all this is rubbish. What we're really talking about in tragedy is the idea of tectonic plates, is the idea of two things hitting against each other in in, in a way that can really destroy an individual who lives in both worlds. So that you could be medieval and modern in the same character and and the way that Hamlet will accept a ghost and the way he will also have a a very free-ranging mind that's clearly been reading great numbers of books that he has both things at him in a way he's caught between two things, a sense of the medieval and the modern, say. In this book, 
although it isn't a book about Irish society or about a particular moment in Ireland, yet there 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 is a sort of two things happening going against each other, where there's a great possibility for people to be religious and to speak about religion openly and clearly and to have the memorare and the remembering was gracious Virgin Mary that never was it known. On the other hand, you have the lake. On the other hand, you, you have the sort of sexual brutality that's going on right beside the church, as it were, that mm-hmm. the two things are hitting against each other and that your character is, is caught between these two worlds one of which is, is this is this sort of emerging brutal sexuality and the other is which a very a very serious old faith Catholicism and that that those two things are actually grinding against um the character the 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 actual voice yes I think in a way it's almost it almost it's almost that's almost back to front in that uh, in the lake there's a kind of it's it's like the idea of of the kind of the old religion and the new religion. So the new religion in this instance is Catholicism. It's the thing that has been imposed, and then underneath there is a kind of pagan self that is connected to nature, that is connected to its own mechanisms and its own desires and its own requirements, and and those two things are fighting against themselves. And I think there's a for me, it always feels as though the lake is almost like returning to some kind of mythical or even primeval sort of Ireland, an Ireland that exists in a kind of barbaric state outside of the Ireland in which it is acceptable for people to, you know, pray openly and make sermons and expect others to follow particular sets of rules for their lives, even in their personal lives. And uh, and the fight is is between that and and the kind of the, the modern element is is the is the new version of the old religion. It's it's the uh, the idea that one can be free, can exist inside a body, and be in control or make choices for that body, even if you're not necessarily in control. Can make choices for it that aren't deemed acceptable by others around, and so it sort of sprawls, I think, over a lot of different aspects of. Ireland, and even though, as you say, it's not a book about it's not a book of social realism. It's not about a particular time and place. It just happens to be set in a particular time and place. Um, I, I think it does carry inside it a lot of different elements of old Ireland and new Ireland and emerging Ireland. It's it's filled with repression, isn't it? Uh, well, I think the. The society around her is filled with repression and that has necessarily leaked inside her so that there is a part of her that can only condemn herself for being who she is or for doing what she does. Um, But there is another part inside her that's fighting all the time to be the person who was able to make the choice, who was not told how to contain herself or... uh, uh, cut herself off from her own desires or from her own will, even more than desire, her own will, because a lot, of, although, the, you know, there's a lot of sex in the book, it's not really a book about desire, it's, it's about will, um, and in many ways about control. Um, so yeah, there is, that's the thing she's pushing against, and she's pushing against how it has turned her against herself in many ways, um, but it's not her essential self. I 
Um, 20 years ago, when you started the book, were you bored by a great deal of contemporary fiction? Yeah, I was. I wasn't, um, I didn't, I couldn't find a lot of very kind of visceral writing at that time, thing, or things that really affected me from the inside. And so the things that I harked back to modernism and Joyce and were things that I felt kind of went in through the fissures of the skin and affected you as a reader in ways that kind of nicely laid out social realism didn't for me. And particularly a lot of, you know, at that time, there were, of course, there were a lot of women writers, but that it, it still felt as though that was separate to the mainstream of literature. It's the kind of the endless fight that's been going on since. And it certainly feels as though that's changed a lot for me. But at that time, it felt, and perhaps I also felt that there was a particular way that women had to write. And I, and so I, it was really only going to somewhere else that allowed me to open up that very indecorous part of myself that wrote this book that felt, even as I was writing it, oh God, oh God, why am I writing it like this? Why, why is this happening? Why, you know, why can't I just write a nice book about something? Um, and so really it was also things like seeing Sarah Kane's plays for the first time, which were... Could you tell us, could you just tell us about Sarah Kane? So Sarah Kane was um, um, a, a young female playwright who came to prominence in the 90s. Uh, her plays were performed at the Royal Court. She um, and, you know, were, she was very celebrated and very, um, very much harangued as well because she wrote out of a huge rage and a huge sense of... Uh, of what's wrong with the world and her characters are, you know, and her plays contain incest and cannibalism and they're very, very extreme. And it was very unusual at that time for women to write in that way. And so for me, seeing those plays gave me permission to, and, and led me to understand that there was a part of myself, a brutality inside myself as a writer that I was not allowing out into the world because I felt that that was not the way women should write. Um, and I was very appalled at myself when I understood that. But I had been carrying that around secretly inside myself, unbeknownst to myself. And, and so seeing her work just kind of blew the doors off. Um, could you take us through your own education, um, your education as a reader and your moving from um, Ireland to England? Um, so, you know, I had very um, an exciting formal education. Uh, I went to a couple of different schools because I lived in a few different places, Tupper Curry and then Castle Bar. Um, I went to the convent school. In, in Tuberkuri and then Moila and then I went to Banada Abbey and then to Castle Bar and it was, I didn't, you know, I went to Davit College and uh, I suppose I was very much self-taught as a reader. Um, my family were always big readers and although, you know, my father had left school at 14 and um, 
he was always, you know, reading was a very, very important thing to him and he passed that on to me. Um, and I suppose I just became at first interested in things my eldest brother had on his shelf. So he used to have Dostoevsky and Solzhenitsyn on his shelf and Kundera. And, you know, so I started to steal things off his shelf and read those and then, you know, found a copy of Anna Karenina, which apparently my mother had read on her honeymoon. <laughs> bit macabre but um uh so I became very interested in, in Russian literature and that was that really was a long path for me I you know, spent a lot of time reading Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and Chekhov and um and and then I suppose it everything really changed when I started to read Joyce and I had not really didn't know anything about Joyce up until uh, that point. It wasn't, you know, wasn't a big part of Irish uh, school life, certainly, um, in those days. Um, yeah, so so that was, I, I kind of, I read at whim, and I still read at whim, and I, and I, I think that's to just follow one's own interest is the most important thing. So it means I have lots of holes in my reading, but... Um, um, could, could you take us through reading Edna O'Brien? So Edna O'Brien was, a, you know, in a way, I feel like it was my first grown up reading experience. So the first time I read Country Girls was when I was 13 and I was sent away to the Gaeltacht and I was uh, in, in Galway and I was ferociously homesick. And I had this copy, secondhand copy of, of the Country Girls and uh, sort of read it hidden in my bed because the the ban and she was a bit you know she was she was a bit conservative didn't like the look of this dirty book which it still was in those days even in the you know beginning of the 90s um and but it was a revelation and and also perhaps it was you know walking down country lanes in rural Galway felt very close to you know to that whole world of, of um Kate and Baba but it was the first time I think I really felt language on the inside of myself, felt changed by reading. First time I understood that it really mattered what words you wrote, that it wasn't the story that you were being told, but it was the person that you were coming to understand and the way in which language was moulded to make that different to any other story, to any other experience. And, uh, and that, you know, that changed a lot for me seeing that for the first time that 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 in other words writing was about hitting the nervous system that it wasn't about giving information to the reader that the intelligence could absorb but it was about the style the rhythm what was between the words what the words sounded like would do something much more visceral and much more direct and in a way much more mysterious also yeah exactly i mean i i for me, reading is not an intellectual experience. The best reading experience is not an intellectual experience. It is feels like music going on inside of me. And and Edna's writing absolutely did that for the first time, sort of ignited that that first experience of that, just feeling that it didn't matter whether it didn't matter how I would later explain what the book was about to someone else, but only what the experience of personal, private, physical experience of reading it was. Um, and that obviously became the kind of writing that I was then grew into 
trying to do myself was trying to just to bypass the all the barriers of 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 formality of education of the intellect and to make the experience of writing a kind of physically undeniable fact and that seems to me still seems to me the most important thing you can do that if there is something you read that even years later you can't necessarily remember what the plot was or what the characters were called but you can still feel that pulse of it alive inside of you then that was a really you know that that was an important book because there's so many books you read so many books and you enjoy them and then they're gone they're completely gone um, but the books that kind of remain inside, that have their own rhythm, that have a kind of, I don't know, have a, a kind of a physicality somewhere inside your body. Those are the kind of the, the important books to to have read, I think. Was was going to England important for you in, in a way of just seeing this story more clearly as though from another place? I don't think I could have written it if I had been living in Ireland at the time. I mean, I had been in England for quite a few years at that point. Um, and I think if I had been in Ireland, which I was again a few years later when I moved back to Cork and started to write my second novel there, um, but it it did allow me a sense of perspective. It did allow me a sort of freedom and I felt that I could be as rude as I liked <laughs> about everything that I wanted to write about, but I, I didn't have to be polite that I, in a way, didn't, that I could switch off any sense of obligation towards the country. That I, and it, it put me into a more, into a kind of a purer state where I was able to write without inhibition. Um, and I think because, you know, the nature of the book, because of what it happens inside of it, it would have been hard if I had felt shy and I would have felt shy in Ireland writing that book. The um, I suppose the protagonist, no matter what she does, is an outsider. And what's remarkable is that she doesn't get a group of friends. You know, she moves in and out of groups. And remarkable also that her brother, you know, doesn't get one friend. In other words, you're not giving in to sort of easy emotion. Ah, it was all right because there was a friend. It wasn't all right, actually. You know, if everyone, if everyone doesn't mind, it yeah. wasn't all right. And, and it's very hard this book, and 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 it's and and it, and it's also complex. In, in other words, you know, it's it's not as though your protagonist is a victim, although she is a victim. But that her way of performing as a victim is complex. It, it's not as though she's attacked on the way home, although she is. But that yeah. there are other things she does. In other words, the way she takes control of her own sexuality at certain moments of the book. It's very hard. These are very powerful moments yeah. where she decides just to go for some of those yabos and actually offer them sex to, 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 to and they're so scared by this and th th these are very interesting I mean I just want to I suppose the question is um did you work this out as you, uh, on your second draft did it did it come automatically I'm not giving in to easy victimhood I'm not giving in to a, a sense of even broken community I'm just not having any of that I think you know the the book was really there at the end of the first draft. The the subsequent right. drafts were really just about refining the language. Um, it it was 
she was very alive to me right from the start, even though I was only discovering her as I went along. So as you read the book, that's how I discovered her. I didn't know what would happen at the end of the book until I got to the end of the book. But I mean, for me, the book is it's about many things, but the central problem is about human isolation, about someone who can never be on the inside, who can never feel like she's on the inside, who no matter what is alone. And that's a very hard thing to live with. And, but she makes herself, her pact with herself is that she will be herself. And the price of herself is that is the isolation, is the not, and the not giving in is, is, becomes, it's the great thing about her and it's the awful thing about her. So perhaps that's her fatal flaw in the Shakespearean sense. But um, I suppose I, I was, I also grew up surrounded by women who lived through very hard things and there was no language to speak about it as victimhood. These were the things that were life. And I, in many ways, I still feel like that. She's, and the important thing about her is, although terrible things happen to her and she participates in things that are terrible for her willingly, she is someone who is always trying to choose, who is trying to be in control, to not be the person to whom things happen, because that's what's all around her are people to whom things have happened. And so even when she goes against her own best interests, she's choosing that for herself. And that's the kind of magnificent thing about her. But it's also the complicated and slightly disturbing thing about her. But there's something else in the book that I found really emotionally powerful. I should say even more so reading it now this time um, is the question of the death of a sibling. Um, you know, Joyce lost a sibling. Um, Virginia Woolf lost a sibling. They just don't have it in their work. It is. It was as though I lost a sibling. The, these things are so hard that they're very difficult to deal with. It's much easier to write by being, a, for example, a widow. I, I, I can do that. My mother was a widow. I can see that. But the loss of a sibling is, in, in a funny way, a, a strange loss of the self where you're so bound up with somebody else. The way in which you manage in the book to suggest that the protagonist is locked into her brother's body almost, that she's feeling his feelings. If he's hurt, she's hurt. If he's suffering, she's suffering. I, I don't know another version of this, do you? Where that sort of illness and death is, is, is shown through the prism of a sister or a sibling who, who, who's, feeling, who's feeling it as deeply uh, as in your book. Yes, I don't I don't know um, any other examples of it. And I and I was very aware of that when I was writing it. And it's I do think it's an it's an interesting bereavement to lose a sibling because it's almost like the bereavement that dare not speak its name because nobody knows how to handle it. Nobody, nothing prepares you for it. You know, as a parent, you fear all the time that something would happen to your child. And as a child, you when you see a parent, your parent lose a child, that is that grief is so overwhelming. 
and people understand all around even if they've not experienced it they understand the horror of that how awful it is that every parent dreads that thing and suffers for the person who goes through it and and I and a sibling bereavement is kind of lost somewhere because it's not supposed to happen or it's not supposed to happen until you're much older and you've all grown apart and had your own lives and certainly sibling bereavement when when the sibling is young and isn't leaving anything behind isn't leaving family isn't leaving a career isn't leaving a home isn't leaving a pile of money isn't leaving a business isn't leaving anything behind just the memory of who they were to you and that you will have the rest of your life to try and not forget that, to hold on to that. And I think it's a really, there's something quite beautiful about it and something very impossible about losing a sibling where there is no way to make up to them for what they've lost. And there's no way to explain to yourself what it is that you've lost and in fact I think it's only over time when you begin to realize that you're the last person standing you're the last one who remembers you're the only one who will ever know this thing now and or the person who you could have asked this question of is no longer there and so that whole part of yourself is also disappearing with them into the past and that's it was an interesting thing to try and capture something of that. And although, of course, you don't get the long life of grief in the book, the kind of the approach and the dread of what's coming, of what, of what cannot be avoided, what will have to be endured. And also trying for her, I think, trying to cope with her mother's inability to cope and unwillingness to cope with the reality of what is coming. It's also, I think, part of part of losing a sibling, dealing with the parent who who's going to lose a child and how their grief is always seen as much greater and much more all-encompassing. Um, so it's, you know, there's, as with everything in the book, it's fraught with conflict. Even something which is quite, seemingly quite simple and pure, that bereavement is is never that simple and it's never that pure um and i and i think also because the two of them are so have been so isolated inside this life have been kind of away have been abandoned have been kind of left to themselves have come together to help each other or try to escape each other or punish each other you know when he goes there's most of her goes with him I think, the, or what she considers to be the best of her goes with him. Um, I want to just finally, just before we um, take questions, I ask you in a bit more detail about Joyce. That, you know, Joyce comes to us in, in a number of guises. He wrote these lovely short stories um, in this style, which he called a style of scrupulous meanness, the stories of Dubliners, which I think have had a very big, long lasting effect on Irish writing generally. That sort of tone the sort of melancholy of them, <laughs> the sense of people down on their luck, losing a bit more in the story, 
than they had lost before the story began. And then there's the extraordinary um, egotism of Portrait of the Artist, which actually, if you try and teach it in a class divided between young men and young women, the women just end up staring out the window. The coolest <laughs> class ever end. Could this Stephen shut up? Could all this business of his conscience, of the sermons, of Catholicism, it has nothing to do with me. Now, just take those. You then realize something that I don't think anyone has struck anyone before, that Ulysses is a living, Ulysses, the, the, those, those, those 18 chapters are episodes. It's a sort of living text and that it, ha, it, can, it, it can be used. The style of it is not a simple once-off business that Joyce's genius gave rise to. It is actually something that all of us can work with, that it can still, as, as a reader, you can still be struck by a tiny passage, which is even punning on a word. He's taking the word um, ring a bella, cross haven. He's going cross a bella. He's every possible use of the word bella or ring or cross, just in a tiny little episode. He's talking about the Barcarolle, the old sailors in Cork. Just, I'm thinking about a tiny moment, but that you found that that business of very short sentences using a word, often a word that's turned round, a word misspelled, a word, you know, um, with, with, with a compound that isn't expected, that actually that opens possibilities. It isn't a single big text written by a genius close to the rest of us that we could only study, as it were, but that you found there was something in it that you could actually use. Yeah, I think because I didn't approach Joyce at all through any kind of formal education, I had no um, reverence. I had no kind of preconception and I had no kind of feeling of anxiety about him. All I had was the book and myself reading it. And you're what age? Myself reading it. And you're what age? And I was, well, when I read it, I was 25. And um, so it was, I was kind of, I felt as though I I could uh, allow it to do anything to me. And that in turn, because it could do anything to me, I could do anything with it or anything that I learned from it was for me. And I could take that and I could run with it. And that was, you know, along with, with Sarah Kane, along with Edna O'Brien, the kind of the great kind of dropping of the scales from my eyes about what books could be, what literature was, what writing was supposed to be for, what it was supposed to do to you, that uh, how it was supposed to affect you. And also a kind of a feeling of like, it can be a bit crap and it can also be completely transcendent and it can be vulgar and it can be ferocious and all of these things can happen at once. And this can be the whole experience of the book. And there has, you know, the most important thing to get rid of is decorum. And yeah, and and so, you know, I think because I just, I had my own private experience of Joyce, my own kind of delight in it. I I was able to use it in a way that maybe people who had approached it in a more formal way or knew lots of things about modernism and could talk at length about the tradition and how it was all over or why it was all over. It didn't matter to me. None of that mattered to me. All that mattered to me was the book and, and what it did 
inside me. And that was a lot. It did a lot of things inside me. It still does. Every time I look at it now, every I can open a page and there's still something. It just It's active. It's an active creature. And, uh, and that's, I mean, I think that's the pleasure of it. That's why I'm, you know, I'm always a great advocate of it because I don't, I think people are trained to be afraid of it. And, and, and he kind of did it himself with some of his pronouncements, but I don't think anyone should be afraid of it. I think it can, I think it's still a book that can change literature. It's still, it's, it is a completely active thing. Um, could you, just before we take questions, could you just read us a passage from your book? I could read a little bit uh, about the lake. Come running by the lake, fall down. Put on the glasses, I'm blind to that. Come running by the lake, fall down. I am almost too old for that. I should be smoking, drinking now. Taking hands up my jumper, fingers down my skirt. I should be, I should be. I am not yet. I stand there, eyes mist to the dew, mist to the wind. Feel a fresh rush past up my nose. That sting, that new day. It's so early in the morning. I see the white and clear rising up of the waters. Running round my feet, my gravel feet, my earthbound feet that feel the sway of it, water, of the world that's changing now. No change, it's changed and this is looking back. The past, a flash front, that mix, knowing what, how I should do, be, say, that's going up. That flock of geese is rising, rising to make all the noises hunk like cars and wings beat hard on the air, battering it, cutting it down. They're going up and up. Feathers and fine young breasts rise and rise above me. I see, I see clear. And the trees there, glassing the water, making it jump in under. Temptation for the tips of my fingers, for the soles of my feet. I step there, cool and cold and colder. Outside the leather, coming in over my white socks. Feel it rising, catch my ankles, send me tremors, send me shivers. I know what I'm doing, mud suckering round my toes. If I stand still. Imer, I think this is this is a book that every decade is going to be seen in a new light. That that you know, <laughs> it's great to come back to it twenty years after you wrote it, about what what about eight eight or nine years after the book appeared, just for us to re-examine it. So I'm really glad we did this today. I, I think it's been a very rich experience for everybody, and so thank you very much for being so open and for being so smart and for being so clear. And um, just we'll have to go back and think about the book some more. And it's, well, it's, I'm really grateful to you for doing this and really grateful to the library in Lucan for facilitating us and to the Arts Council. So thank you very much, everybody. And we'll see you all soon.